0: Restore us to thee, O Lord, that we might be restored. Renew our days. This is their cry. Renew our days. Unless you've utterly rejected us and are exceedingly angry. When the Jews traditionally would read this, they would not end on verse 22. They would read all the way to 21, 22, and then they would read verse 21 again. Because they were desperately seeking for some good news. So they would read, unless you've utterly rejected us and exceedingly angry with us, then they would go and read 21 again, restore to us, O Lord, that we might be restored. Renew our days as of old. But Jeremiah doesn't leave us on a happy note. He leaves us, into a, in a sense, to stew in our own juices, and we'll look at more at that in, in a few moments. But he leaves us with, uh, we we say, an unresolved issue, here you are before the Lord, deal with it, deal with it. Now, this has not been an easy couple weeks. If you've been here for all the chapters, frankly, it can get pretty depressing. Okay, But remember where we are, we are in Lent. This is the time of self-examination. This is the 40 days before we get to that point of resurrection, when all this is brought to a conclusion. And it is a time when we need to examine ourselves, a time when we need to lay ourselves bare before the Lord, that we can come to Him and say, Lord, I know that the resurrection is there. I know we will celebrate that time, but examine me, O Lord. Look into my heart. Show me where my weaknesses are. Show me where I have been selfish. Show me these things, Lord, so that I may seek forgiveness for all of them, that I might enjoy The resurrection power of jesus christ now we are not jerusalem yet the word of god is not just for those who were there 2500 years ago it is for us today and we have to examine ourselves in light of what jeremiah says his warnings about idolatry how do our lives our practices our attitudes compare to the people of judah of israel all those years ago of judah The idols change in our lives, but God's view of sin remains the same. He says it will bring judgments. But his answer for that sin doesn't change either. It is repentance. It is seeking his face. It is asking for forgiveness, and it comes in the person of Jesus Christ. It is very simple today. We know Easter's coming. It's the day of resurrection. We know that the shedding of Christ's blood will cover our sins. 2,500 years ago, in sitting and looking at the ruins of Jerusalem, they weren't all that sure that God was ever going to have anything to do with them again. They had been disobedient enough for God to send the Babylonians to destroy the city. Now, God must have been pretty, pretty cranked with them, pretty angry, okay? Now, maybe some of you are are seeking here, wondering the same types of things that the inhabitants of of Jerusalem did. Can God ever forgive me? I mean, I've sought after the idols of today's world. I have sought after the things that were not godly. I have sought after my own personal and selfish things. and, And I have not given time for the Lord. Can he forgive me? Well, of course, the answer is yes. Turn your heart to him. Seek forgiveness. Lay yourself before the throne of grace. That's what he calls us to do. That's what he calls us to do. Will God destroy us for our sin? If you're outside of Christ, he will. But if you stand in Christ, washed in his blood, those sins are forgiven forever. Forever. In Christ, our salvation is secure. But, as we shall see here, salvation is not a shield from the consequences of our own sin, or the sins of previous generations. You say, well, does that mean I'm going to be judged by my sins? No, your sins are forgiven, but the consequences that we face in this world because of our sin are very real, are very real. Let's look at at some of these things uh, in this chapter. It opens with an appeal to God. To take note of where they are. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us, and look and see our reproach. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our houses to aliens. Understand, their inheritance was their land. It was no longer there. There were people living in their homes. They had been invaded, they had been kicked out, and now somebody else had their property. Somebody else had everything that they Owned formerly, We have become orphans without a father, mothers like a widow. This is a kind of a veiled plea, Lord, because in the New Testament we see very clearly the church is to look after who? In particular, the widows and the orphans. And they're kind of claiming that status. Lord, look at us. We're like orphans. We're like widows. Can't you come and look after us? And what is worse? Look at verse 4. We have to pay for our drinking water. and and our wood comes to us at a price. Now, in and around Jerusalem now, it's tough to find a tree that's not an olive tree. But at this point in time, there were still lots of forests there, and wood was an easy product to get. But what had happened is their lives had so fallen apart that water, which was plentiful in Jerusalem, now came at a price because their conquerors occupied the city and if they wanted a drink of their own water they had to pay for it. If they wanted a piece of their own wood which they had gone out and chopped and cut and stored up, now they had to go to the Babylonians and pay for that wood. So think of that. You know how tough it is to chop firewood? Well I know we just go down the Kroger and get it off the off the front thing. But you go out and chop firewood. You cut down the tree And they didn't have the splitter, you know, you put the splitter there, you go, and it splits the wood, and it's all nice. They didn't have any of that. It was all manual labor. You go out and do that, stash it away, and then have somebody come and say, you know what, now that's my wood, and you have to pay for it. That's how desperate things had come. See, our wood, we have to pay for. Our water, we have to pay for. All these things had been taken away by their enemies. And, And it doesn't say were forced to buy things like wine and things like corn, which would have been more like the luxuries of life. They were down their last level. They had to buy the necessities of life. That was the judgment that had come upon them. Now, in the past, as we saw, the people made an alliance with Egypt. Verse 6, we have submitted to Egypt and to Assyria. And We know that that was a problem because to rely upon the things of man, all they had to do was go to the Lord, repent, seek his face, and the Lord would rain blessing upon them. But what did they do? They went down to Egypt and said, guys, you know what? The Babylonians are coming. How about we make a little treaty? And uh, if they invade us, you come up and help us. Remember, we looked at that last week equated it somewhat with the the status of Poland as they made a treaty with Great Britain uh, in the mid-30s. And then Germany and Russia decided to divvy up Poland and the treaty was of no help in reality. Well, all they had to do was make a treaty with God. But they didn't want to do that. They made it with men and they paid the price. And they say, "Uh, you know, it's no good. It's no good. And then in verse 7, Our fathers sinned and are no more. It is we who have borne their iniquities. Now, this is that area that says, look at what grandpa did, and I'm paying for it now. This might be equated with uh, a grandfather who uh, had a lot of money and squandered it all and did a lot of bad things, and now the grandchildren are paying for his sin, maybe in their reputation, maybe in the fact that they have nothing. Um, It it could be the same type of thing that um, a leader of a nation, a, a Pol Pot or a Joseph Stalin or an Adolf Hitler who has pursued these things and now the next generation and the generation after it bears the consequences of their sin. Now, God is not judging us on someone else's sin. He does not judge me on my grandfather's sin, but there's no guarantee that I won't bear some consequences from his sin in this world. Okay? That's just the way it is. And that's what they're saying. You know, it was our father's fault, but we're carrying the burden of that. It is we who have borne their iniquities. Our slaves rule over us. You know what? Jerusalem had slaves at that time. And now those slaves are in charge of Jerusalem. See, everything is topsy-turvy here. This is how bad it has gotten here. When they don't obey the Lord, these are the things that happen. Their slaves now rule over them. Their slaves rule over them. Jerusalem is experiencing a retribution that most nations at that time face. Okay? They were very ruthless. We looked at it before, the Assyrians, they were very nasty people, that's who invaded the northern kingdom, and they were particularly known for uh, skinning their enemies alive. The Babylonians were just simply brutal, they would kill everybody, or they would have a little sport with it. Uh, Verse 11, they ravished the women, uh, the virgins in the cities, princes were hung by their hands. They would take the leaders of the city and put them out and torture them before they killed them. The elders received no respect. They made the young men, Then this is a a very cultural um, affront, they made the young men do all the women's work, the grinding at the stone and things like that. It was humiliation. See, with disobedience often comes consequences, suffering, humiliation. These are the things that come into our lives when we don't pursue the things of God. See, sin brings shame as well. Now, not everybody understands shame. Not everybody is uh, uh, tied to shame as we might be. For those people who have their consciences informed by the things of Christ, there's a shame when we pursue sin. If you're a uh, perhaps a, a, a burgeoning star in Hollywood, uh, what's the what's the uh, saying? Um, any publicity is good publicity. Um, so as long as you get your name out in front. So whether, it doesn't matter whether it's something uh, tottery or something good. Your name is in front of people. Well, we understand that sin brings shame. Sin brings shame. And odds are that if you ask someone who was steeped in the word, who was involved in worship or reading the things of the word, and suddenly they drop out of it. Suddenly they're no longer there in worship. Suddenly they have pulled back from studying the word. If you go and you ask them, what was the precipitating event at that time? Or was there something in your life at that time? If they are serious about it, they will look and say, I became involved in sin at that time. And I couldn't go to worship. I couldn't go and dig into God's word because of the shame involved. And see, there is shame involved here in that the people have known their sin, but they're too ashamed to go to the Lord. See, and that's the only place that they could find forgiveness. It's the only place they could find healing and find all that they needed, but they were too ashamed To go to the Lord. And finally, here, verse 16. This is where we have an admittance. And you know, so often people have to reach the bottom. If you deal with people who are addicted, so often they have to reach the bottom and have nothing left in their lives before they actually seek help and admit that they were addicted. Verse 16 The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us. For we have sinned. Simple, straightforward. You know, remember in in the previous chapters, they mentioned something about sin, but then said, but you know, God, this is kind of your fault. Aren't we supposed to be your covenant people? Aren't we something special? Why are you allowing us to go through this? They tried to shift the blame. There's no blame shifting here. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Here's the tax collector in the synagogue, and he says, "What, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's just a straightforward confession. Because of this, our heart is faint. Because of these things, our eyes are dim. The inhabitants of Jerusalem had kicked God off their throne. He was no longer the most important thing in their lives. He was no longer sovereign in their lives, but they wanted to control their lives. They had ejected him from the one, uh, from the status as the one who determines right and wrong. They sought to be God themselves. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, My dear reader, it is as impossible that God can make your bosom his dwelling place while every thought and feeling and passion is up in arms against him as it would be for Christ to dwell in Belial, or light to commingle with darkness. You must be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You must be born again. If you are your own God, our Heavenly Father will have no place in your heart. You must put aside yourself as idol, and God must be placed on the throne. See, there's, no, there's only one room. There's no room for only one God in our lives. It's either going to be us, or it's going to be Him. It's going to be us, Or it's going to be him. So the answer in chapter 5, I guess the answer for all lamentations. Who is your Lord? Who is your Lord? Pain and suffering strips us of all the comforts and all the supports that this world has to offer. Who can you turn to when the work of your hands is taken away? Who has the answers for questions about when it will end? Who can provide comfort when all you hold dear, the people you love are in danger, destroyed or gone? Who is your Lord? Not just what you believe. Not what do you believe in, but it's the question that undergirds all of life. Who rules your life? Either Randy rules it or God rules it. Okay, That's what I have to ask myself. If you wrote on a piece of paper the five things that are most important to you, you might start with your dog and your car and, I don't know, your uh, your bass boat, whatever it is. You may, you may even put your family on there or you might slide God in there. Let's, let's hope so. But look around. Tornadoes come. What happens? They destroy your bass boat. Your dog gets worms. Fire comes, destroys your house. The world can take away each and everything that we hold dear except what? Except the Lord. And if he is Lord of our lives, the rest really doesn't matter. You can lose everything else but him. The world can take everything away from you except him. The things of the world are often like, you know, chaff the old days, in, in biblical times, when it was the wheat harvest, they would go to the top of the hill and they would take these big winnowing forks and they would throw it up in the air and the breeze would blow the chaff away. Just wherever the breeze was blowing, that's where it would go and the grain would fall down. Those are the things of the world. They could blow away so easily. Anything other than his love for us as demonstrated in Jesus Christ is temporary and it just doesn't last. Gone with the slightest breeze. If we love our families, but if Christ is not their Lord, they are lost forever. Who is your Lord? Have you laid yourself before Him? Have you sought forgiveness these past couple of weeks? Have you been on your knees as you have read the Psalms? Have you thrown yourself down at the altar of grace and cried out and said, "Lord, I have to have mercy." The world offers me none. Only You can give it. It's because His mercy. And his forgiveness are the only things that last. The only things that meet these needs that are deep in our hearts. Jerusalem was destroyed before the covenant people of God realized that he was all that they needed. Have you realized that he is all that you need? That you can put aside everything else. That you have to be off your throne, that he has to be on it. Cry out to him for forgiveness. Let's pray. Lord, there is only room for one on the throne of our lives. The people of Jerusalem realize that only too late. Only too late. But, Lord, it is not too late for us to pray the prayer that they prayed. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we might be restored. Renew our days as of old. Lord, perhaps there have been people... These last weeks or maybe just today who have been wrestling with these things, wrestling with who is their Lord. Do they actually live in the fashion that exalts Christ, that puts the things of God first in their lives? Then, Lord, move in their hearts today that they would pray, restore me to yourself, O Lord, that I might be restored. Renew my days as of old. Come upon their hearts, Lord. Cleanse them of whatever weighs upon them. Renew them as of days of old, that they would return to their first love, the things of Christ, that you would restore them, that they would knock off themselves from the throne of their lives, and you would take precedent over everything else, that we may each Answer the question of who is my Lord, that we may each say, it is Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Our hymn is number 30. Please stand as we sing verses 1 and 2.